going on? How's it going, everybody? Getting there. We're getting close to Christmas. Getting close to that time. I hope you guys have got most of your Christmas shopping done. I am behind, so have no fear. I'm with you. I am with you in that battle. <laughs> so, welcome to another edition of Kruger's Weekly Ramblings. And this week is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be doing some really random hosh-poshing here. We'll talk a little bit about, I want to get into Joe Burrow's Heisman uh, speech. I thought that was really great, very inspirational. Talk a little bit about uh, some former Nittany Lions that excelled this weekend in the NFL. And then I'm going to do something a little fun, a little fun idea I came up with since, you know, trying to get in the holiday spirit and everything, trying to have a little bit of fun. And we're getting at that point in the year where on this podcast, it's not going to be super Penn State or even football heavy because now the season is winding down. College football season is winding down. Uh, Penn State football, I mean, we're just at this point, we're just waiting for the bowl game to take place. And then we're just waiting for the offseason, and we're waiting to find our new offensive coordinator. Yes! I'm pumped. <laughs> um, but there's just a lot of, there's going to be a lot of dead space until, I'd say, the blue and white game. Now, there will be some recruits that we hear about, so that'll be fun. And we'll talk about them as we move on uh, through the offseason and everything like that. But, you know, right right now, this is going to be much more of a variety podcast moving forward now that football season is kind of reaching its end. And we'll talk a little bit about, a bit, bit about playoffs in the NFL when that comes and everything. And who knows? I'm, I'm really not so certain of it, whether I'm going to talk about the XFL or not. Whenever that does end up kicking off this coming year in 2020, uh, it could be something that I'm really going to talk a lot about and be really interested in. I think if there's anything I can promise about XFL talk in that way, I would say that I definitely will be looking out for Matt McGloin and how he is he will perform in the XFL since he is on one of the teams. There's a few Penn State players that are on XFL teams. So that'll be something that I can look into and we can kind of discuss here on this podcast. So um, I, I want to talk about Joe Burrow, who, by the way, if you live under a rock, uh, he won the Heisman Trophy. And from what we're seeing, it was almost by a landslide. And that doesn't surprise me one bit. I said that I thought it would have been an absolute crime if he didn't win the Heisman. Because the season that he put up, the statistics he put up this season, the way he has led uh, his team this far, undefeated season, going into the playoffs, and I think very, very likely going to the national championship game, that's a big deal. And I was shocked to hear about, there was a stat floating around that Joe Burrow was left off of 4.5% of Heisman ballots. How? Well, it's obvious to me that that 4.5% are the type of people that pour milk before cereal. Yeah, psychopaths, as we also know. Uh, couldn't believe when I heard that. But, uh, on, I mean, they said it was one of the most unanimous votes of the Heisman in history. And once again, I think deservedly so. He just... He stuck out like a sore thumb this year, but in the best way possible. Now, if 
the way the voting turned out, it looked like Jalen Hurts actually ended up being second place, and he was actually my second place pick. I felt like the way he was able to bounce back from a lot of adversity this season, there were certain moments where Oklahoma looked like they were going to fall out of favor. They looked like they weren't going to be in the playoff, and then they were able to make that comeback victory against Baylor. There were other moments here and there where Jalen Hurts struggled at times, but he was always able to bounce back, and I think that counts for something definitely means something. And when you look at other, the other players like Justin Fields and Chase Young, those are two guys that I would say, as I mentioned before with Ohio State and how they had a pretty easy uh, away schedule and a lot of their toughest games were played at home. And this was also an Ohio State team that didn't face a lot of, a lot of adversity this year. So keeping that in mind, I have to look at those two players and I don't want to down their seasons because Justin Fields had a great season. Chase Young had a great season. But at the end of the day, they did not face as much, and I don't think they accomplished much in the grand scheme of things in comparison to Jalen Hurts and especially Joe Burrow. But uh, I enjoyed the ceremony. It was fun. I liked all their video packages they did for all the candidates. There were some really great interviewing uh, moments throughout the the presentation and everything. And of course, we have to talk about Joe Burrow's uh, speech, which was phenomenal. Very heartfelt, very genuine. I I mean, I don't think there, there couldn't have been a dry eye in the room when he finally was talking about Coach O and how much he meant to his family. And it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing story, really, with Joe Burrow, because this is a guy that was told many, many times that he wasn't going to be anything and he wasn't going to succeed. And, you know, he was at Ohio State, wasn't getting the playing time. And to be fair, he, was, he had to be behind Dwayne Haskins. And, and Dwayne Haskins, uh, I've gone at him a few times with him being a little bit overrated, but he's still a good player. Um, and then he was behind JT Barrett. That Those are two solid guys to be behind. So he, he, had, a lot of, he had a lot of an uphill battle in his career. And the fact that, as Joe Burrow said, Coach O really took a chance on him. And it was obviously a very emotional experience for him. And there was just a lot of doubt leading up to this season for Joe Burrow. But now he has, he's proved everyone wrong. And he's gone out there and put up a historic season, not just for LSU, not just for the SEC, but I think just in college football history in general. And, uh, I got to say this, too, just about the candidates this year. Um, Three of the candidates, the top four candidates for the Heisman, all transfers. Joe Burrow transferring from Ohio State to LSU. Justin Fields from Georgia to Ohio State. And then you had Jalen Hurts from Bama to Oklahoma. I think that really paints a good picture for the transfer portal. A lot of us complain about it. It does create for some chaos in some ways, and yes, it does kind of counteract the whole idea that you go to college for academics, and yes, it, it definitely it, get, it definitely supports a culture where academics don't mean as much. I definitely see that argument, but in terms of it creating opportunities for guys to succeed that otherwise might not get the chance— I think that this year's Heisman race in terms of those top four and having three of those be transfers 
And by the way, first year transfers, like literally they transferred. And then the very next year that they got to play, they were incredibly successful. And I I personally think that it could be something where we look back on this uh, and we look back on, of course, this Heisman race, but we look back on this as a kind of like a beginning for the rise of the transfer portal era and a good reason why the transfer portal will probably exist for a very long time. Um, and it's a good case for why it does exist. And I think it's interesting. And now it definitely contradicts my personal opinion. I wish the transfer portal was not a thing. I, I, I have a hard time adapting to it. And probably just because I grew up with the idea of, Hey, you're going to be at your school. You make your decision. No going back unless, I mean, you could still transfer, but it was much harder, uh, back in the day. But And there was all these approvals you had to get. It wasn't this streamlined process that it is today. But, um, but Joe Burrow, the one part of his speech that I really stuck out to me, and he talked about his hometown in Ohio and how it was a very impoverished area. And the, the poverty level was, I think he said, twice the national average and everything. He came from a very, um, just a, a bad area in that case, economically. And ESPN actually, as I'm recording this right now, uh, earlier today, uh, this is coming out on a Tuesday, but yesterday they uh, put out a little story saying that Joe Burrow's speech has in some way inspired uh, more donations going towards a food pantry in his hometown. And it looks like they already are up to $150,000 in donations. And this is a this is definitely a case where you look at Joe Burrow and you say, wow, that was actually a very classy move on his part to make that mention because it could have it could have very well have uh, helped that community. And just listening to him talk and seeing how emotional he got, I can definitely tell that he's very it was very genuine. And I hope that I hope that he is able to use this platform now to help his hometown and, and help these people that are not as fortunate. And he definitely alluded to the fact that, you know, it's cool that, you know, someone from that town ended up being a big deal. And of course, Joe Burrow is pretty much set to go to the NFL. I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty certain he's going to be the first round draft, the first draft pick of the NFL draft, obviously first round. And also I think it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point that he's heading back home to Cincinnati, uh, to the Ohio area in Cincinnati to play for the Bengals. If I'm the Bengals, I don't know why I wouldn't pick him. But congratulations to Joe Burrow. I am very happy for him. I think it's very well-deserved, and especially now hearing that little backstory with him definitely, I think, just kind of puts the icing on the cake and the cherry on top. Uh, He's definitely, he seems like a classy kid. And that's, to me, that's really what counts at the end of the day. We talk about how, you know, these college sports, you're not only just uh, building athletes, you're building young human beings, young uh, young uh, adult, adults that are going to go into society and potentially be productive members of society. And I think that's what really counts. But uh, before we get into anything else, I want to talk about uh, some Penn Staters this past weekend that really made an impact in the NFL. It was a pretty big weekend 
uh, for uh, Penn Staters. And honestly, this year has even been a pretty nice year for Penn State players. We've talked about Chris Godwin uh, beforehand, and he had another great weekend, 121 uh, uh, receiving yards. He's been having a pretty damn good year. And I said before how I'm kind of bummed that I didn't uh, have him on my fantasy team. I had him last year, and he had a decent year, but he definitely didn't have the type of uh, year that he's been having this year. He's made a huge impact on the Buccaneers. You had Sean Lee. Sean Lee's back playing with the Cowboys, and he had an interception that, man, I watched that game. He almost took that back for six. I didn't want him to take back for six because I hate the Cowboys. Uh, and it would have been nice to see the Cowboys lose to help out the Eagles because uh, at this point, man, we the Eagles it, that, that Eagles-Cowboys game coming up is going to be huge. That is going to be a colossal matchup. And the winner of that game, it, that's definitely going to be your division winner. And it's amazing that that division, I mean, oh, God, it's a terrible division this year. It's awful. And the fact that a team a team with that kind of record is going to be going to the playoffs and winning a division, that's scary. Um, other Penn Staters, though, Allen Robinson, he's been having – He's been having a great year as well, and he's a key player for the Bears. He actually just passed this weekend 1,000 yards uh, receiving on the season, which, great. Uh, And he also had 125 yards of receiving uh, for the Bears, even though they did lose that game. And, man, that last play, did anyone see that last play of the game where they tried to do some trickeration? It was a desperation type thing. They had, I think they gave, he passed it in the, he kind of did like a little bit of a check down route to Tariq Cohen, and then Tariq Cohen, yeah, kind of ran across the field and then threw it back to Trubisky, and there was some Stanford Cal type stuff going on. I'm telling you what, if uh, the one player would have pitched at the right time to Allen Robinson, uh, that could have been a touchdown. That would have been a hell of a little miracle play. But um, that was a fun little finish we saw there. Miles Sanders. You know what? Actually, I'm going to talk about Miles Sanders last because uh, Saquon Barkley. Uh, for the Giants, did his thing. The Giants, you know, for what it's worth, the Giants, they're not making the playoffs. It's another bad year for the Giants. Uh, But for what it's worth, they're putting forth a great effort. And, uh, I mean, you could talk about Eli Manning, too, kind of maybe having his swan song. I could definitely see him perhaps retiring at the end of the year. I think it's time for him, too, but we'll see where that goes. But Saquon Barkley had another great game. Uh, 143 rushing yards for two touchdowns. He's just he's just doing Saquon Barkley things. It doesn't surprise me anymore with Saquon Barkley when he just puts up these great numbers. Um, he he is worth all of the hype. That's one player. You know, I, you have a lot of these players that come out of college and have the the legend of John Henry's hammer and all this, and then they don't live up to it. And, I mean, Tim Tebow, that even happened to Tim Tebow. And I thought Tim Tebow was a great player. I just felt like he was more suited as, like, a tight end or something like that in the NFL. Uh, Johnny Menzel, although there were some extracurricular things happening with him that kind of contributed to that, uh, there have been plenty of of, um, players over the years that haven't necessarily transitioned very well to the NFL. And I actually got in a conversation with someone at my work the other day, and we were kind of discussing quarterbacks that have won the Heisman Trophy. And I was discussing him because he's a uh, Giants fan. And since the Giants, the Giants will probably be 
uh, what? I think they're going to be like the second or third draft pick. They're going to be up there. Uh, now, I think it's de- it's definitely, I think it's, as I said, a foregone conclusion that the Bengals are going to pick Joe Burrow. But I said, let's let's think of a hypothetical situation where the Giants had the chance to pick Joe Burrow. And I asked him, I said, look, uh, would you rather have Daniel Jones or would you rather have Joe Burrow? And he kind of brought up the argument that, like, look, these Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, they haven't done they haven't done crap in the NFL. They haven't been as successful in the NFL. They haven't had these long, sustained careers in the NFL. And I thought about that. And when I went back and I looked through the list of some of the most recent quarterback Heisman Trophy winners. Now, in these last five years, it's kind of unfair to just talk about them because they still have a lot more years to go. But when I looked at the list, it really has been quite a long time since a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback has had, I would say, I guess there's going to be some semantic issues here because there's even guys like Cam Newton who have had a fine NFL career, but nothing of like legendary status. I think that's the best way to kind of make make the distinction between, okay, you had a decent NFL career, but did you have a legendary NFL career? And I want to go through this list right now because I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out who I would pick as the last Heisman Trophy quarterback winner that actually went to the NFL and had what I would say somewhat of a, a legendary type of career. Now, to be fair, I am going to talk about some of the recent ones. Now, like I said, we need we need many more years to kind of get a good idea of how good these guys really are going to trans- translate to the NFL. You had Kyler Murray. He's doing pretty well at this point. He's doing his thing. Baker Mayfield has had some hiccups here and there. Doing okay. Now, Lamar Jackson from the 2016 Heisman Trophy. Holy crap. This guy has been a, a massive weapon this year. I'm so glad I drafted him for uh, fantasy this year. Because quite frankly, I think he has saved my ass. And looking going into this season, with, with the Baltimore Ravens kind of changing up their offense a little bit, I actually kind of saw this coming in some ways, just not at the level that it has been. I predicted that he was going to have a better year and definitely something that was noteworthy, but this is not just a noteworthy season he's having. He's having a legendary season. So um, with Lamar Jackson, I'd say Lamar Jackson would be my, I think, the best example of a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that has had a good NFL career so far up to this point, but there's still a lot more years to go and anything can happen. And let me tell you something, Lamar Jackson, I have a feeling he's going to make the Madden cover after this year and look out because that Madden curse is ugly. And Patrick Mahomes technically did get hurt with the Madden curse. So we have to keep that in mind. You go to 2015, Derrick Henry was a running back. Marcus Mariota has not had a very good NFL career. It's just been blasé. Uh, Jameis Winston, he's had a respectable career up to this point. But nothing, I mean, <sighs> that's a W. You taste that, guys? That's a W. That was bad. Um, but his performances overall, I mean, it's nothing at legendary status. But these are very recent 
uh, winners. And Johnny Menzel, he's out of there. Uh, RG3, Robert Griffin third. he's, no, he will not have that career. He will not live up. Cam Newton, uh, do I think Cam Newton could have a legendary career? Um, at this point, I say no. It's just been blasé with him. He's had he's had his great moments. He's had his eh moments. Sam Bradford, I don't even is he even on a team anymore? It's it yeah. Tim Tebow flopped. Troy Smith doesn't even play there anymore. Matt Leinhart, haven't even heard of him in a while. Jason White, Carson Palmer, Carson Palmer, I'd say Carson. If I look at this list, Carson Palmer, I think is the best argument for the last Heisman Trophy winner that, and as a quarterback, that went to the NFL and actually had what, is it is it legendary? Now that I'm really thinking about this, is it really legendary? I don't know. I, I think if you're going to call it legendary, I think it has to be at the, uh, I think it have to be at like the very bottom of the legendary category, but he had a, a decent career in the NFL. Uh, but I think that'd be the closest one. Now, we could go back through all the quarterbacks. Eric Crouch didn't do much. Chris Wink- Winky didn't do much. I could keep going on and on. Danny Warfel, I you don't hear about these guys. And if I go really if I go really far back, you're just going to hit guys that have retired. I mean, you even look like uh, Ty Detmer, who didn't have a terrible NFL career. Vinny Testaverde, all right. Doug Flutie. There's, you know, there's, there's guys you could look at that, once again, had okay NFL careers. And I have to say that some of the most, I would say that some of the most successful Heisman Trophy winners have been at the running back situation. These running backs that transfer to the NFL really well. Ricky Williams being one of them. Hell, even Ron Dane, I'd even say, definitely transferred well. Reggie Bush, he was... It's that's a that's an interesting case because there was some there was some controversy going around there, um, but Reggie Bush had a respectable career for what it was. Now he's an analyst on Fox and everything. Uh, let's what else do we got here? Derrick Henry. Th- th- these are guys that you're just gonna look at and th- it, their NFL careers too young. But um, but that's just kind of me looking forward with uh, Joe Burrow to see uh, where he could end up. In terms of, you know, I mean, I think obviously he's going to end up, he's definitely going to end up with, um, he's going to end up with, with the Bengals. I, I think it's a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. And we'll see how good of a fit he'll be for the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals, I don't think, run that similar of an offense. It's going to, it could take a while for Joe Burrow to get used to, you know, uh, the, their style. And hell, they might even have their style uh, change for him. You never know. So kind of got off track there. That's why I call it Kruger's Weekly Ramblings, guys. And finally, of course, talking about uh, Miles Sanders, uh, another Penn Stater this past weekend that had a pretty good uh, weekend, pretty good outing, and a guy that has been pretty important for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, now, you could talk about a lot of different guys at the Eagles. The Eagles have been a very injury-prone team, a lot of injuries this year. You had Lane Johnson, uh, Deshaun Jackson. I remember how excited we were about Deshaun Jackson being back, and then he got injured. Alshon Jeffrey injured a lot of guys. Uh, uh, Darren Sproles out, which I, I have to say, if Darren Sproles would be healthy, 
Miles Sanders wouldn't be getting the playing time. But Miles Sanders, I think, has done a pretty good job at uh, stepping in. And then this past weekend, he had a pretty nice rushing day, 172 yards, uh, one rushing touchdown, and one receiving touchdown. And boy, was that one hell of a catch he made. And I have to give Carson Wentz credit for that pass because that was a laser. And that was almost exactly where it needed to be. Went right past two defenders and just back in the corner of the end zone, even watching that replay, watching it in slow motion is a little bit of a different story. But when you watch that in real time, it's incredible how Miles Sanders was able to stay in bounds. But uh, Miles Sanders has been a great weapon for them this year, and there's been major improvement too with him. There's been some ball security issues here and there. There's been some communication issues between him and Carson Wentz, but Miles Sanders, I think, def- I think they're getting their money's worth with Miles Sanders right now. He's stepping up, and I, I talk about you can talk about other players that have stepped up to Boston Scott. Is man, he's definitely faster. Then Miles Sanders, he accelerates faster than Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is really fast. But I think Miles Sanders also has a little bit more toughness, a little bit more leg push with him. And also it takes it um it takes a little bit more time for Miles Sanders to kind of get get going and get that momentum. But I also think Miles Sanders is is just a smarter running back. And I've seen improvement uh, throughout this year. And the fact that he has Deuce Staley coaching him that's always a plus and he's had great things to say about Miles Sanders uh, I'm just I'm utterly happy about him and there was a tweet I retweeted uh, this past weekend and it was discussing how a lot of these announcers are talking about Miles Sanders and they whenever they talk about Miles Sanders they can't keep Saquon Barkley's name out of their mouths and I love Saquon Barkley this is not a shot at Saquon Barkley Saquon Barkley is the freaking man but I think it's, I agree with this tweet, uh, pretty much putting out the sentiment that, look, let's, let's talk about Miles Sanders and just let it be. We don't need to talk about how he was the backup for Saquon Barkley. And I understand that that is the story surrounding Miles Sanders because Miles Sanders, as talented as he, as he was, he had to stay behind Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley is just a once-in-a-lifetime talent. But at this point, you know, we're way past that chapter of Miles Sanders' career, and I don't think he gets enough. I don't think he gets enough respect as a standalone guy, a guy that's just fighting to to get playing time, uh, fighting for the team, doing the best he can to make up for some injuries and here and there, and a guy that has overachieved this year. And now he's he beat. I think he just beat the the rookie record for the Eagles with all. I think it's all purpose yards or is it rushing yards? It might be both actually. Uh, but this guy has just, he, I think, I, personally, I just think he's overachieved at this point. And I, and I, I just think that the, the narrative going on about him right now is a little ridiculous. And sure, next year, I think it'll be gone. If I hear it next year, I'm going to want to throw a brick at my freaking TV. But let's give the guy some, some props here. Saquon Barkley and him, they're on their own journey right now. They're having their own careers. Let's treat it that way. But yeah, uh, this weekend was was good for Penn Staters, uh, and I'm happy to see it, especially with Sean Lee because he was dealing with some injuries. Uh, I think I think even this year, but uh, but he's had you know it's funny they um, he made a tackle at some point in the game, and 
the announcer called him a 10-year veteran. And man, that really sunk in with me. Like he's been in the NFL for 10 years and they're calling him a veteran. And I'm just like, holy crap. I remember watching him in college when I was in high school. Like, oh, I remember looking up to a guy like him just because how beastly he was. Like the time has flown. Uh, Holy crap, guys. Um, But yeah, that's uh, just... That, I, that little Miles Sanders thing I had, I just had to get off my chest because it's very frustrating listening to that. And you know what's going on in Miles Sanders' head if he hears that too. It's just, damn, dude, like, let me have my shine here. I, like, I'm not Saquon Barkley's little brother, you know? I'm not Allie Barkley. If you've seen, is it Ali or Allie? I think it might be Ali. Ali Barkley, he's playing in high school right now, and it looks like Penn State's going to try to recruit him. Can't, can't wait. We might have another Barkley coming through uh, Penn State. but So we're going to have a little bit of fun for the rest of this podcast. I mean, we could talk about uh, looking forward to the bowl game and everything. And uh, the best thing I can say is at this point, I think uh, for, that, for the Cotton Bowl, it's just going to come down to – it'll be interesting. I, I'll say one thing. If there's one thing I'm actually really excited about with the Cotton Bowl, I'm excited to see who, who's calling the plays and how they call plays on offense. I'm interested to see how they deal with the offense now that Ricky Ronnie is gone and he will not be coaching in that game. It'll also be interesting to see how Memphis kind of performs without their head coach. And it's kind of funny. Both teams are having coaches leaving. So um, I'm not sure exactly how the offensive coordinator search is going. Uh, I, f- I have a feeling it might just be a hiring from within type thing, but I don't know. So, but I thought that it'd be kind of fun since next week I will not be doing a Kruger's Weekly Ramblings and I will not be doing a Hot Tags and Headbanging at all this week. And actually, before I get into anything else, I do have to give a quick plug to Hot Tags and Headbanging for anyone out there that likes pro wrestling or likes hard rock and metal music or just music in general. Uh, last week, I talked about all, all the stuff going on in pro wrestling, but I also did my, I talked about my top 10 songs from 2019 and this Friday I'm going to be doing my top 10 albums from this year and then uh, actually you know what I I lied I will have a hot tags and headbanging episode uh, after Christmas but um, it's only going to be about my discussion of my top 10 albums from the last 10 years the last decade 2010 going to 2019 so I actually am having it having an episode of that I did forget about that but Kruger's Weekly Ramblings, I'll be taking the week off for that one because it's it's essentially going to be, I mean, Christmas Eve, I'm not, I'm just at that point, I'm just going to be getting ready to go home for the holidays and enjoying time with family and uh, eating a lot. Um, I've actually been on a diet and lately I've been kind of sloughing because Thanksgiving kind of threw me off kilter. Um, but it's nice, at least, at least when, you know, when you first go on a diet, uh, it's, it's very hard. But then the moment you give yourself a little bit of a window, it makes it even harder because it's it's like this natural aver- – uh, not aversion, but this natural tendency to go back to old habits. Um, but I- I'm doing pretty well. I've – since mid-October all the way to now, I've lost about seven to eight pounds, and I'm pretty proud about that. I'm just eating a lot healthier, uh, doing a little bit more exercise. And it really at this point for me, it's about finding a good routine – finding good balance, not overdoing things, because I definitely have a tendency when it comes to getting back into working out, I definitely have a tendency to overdo it 
One time in college, I got back into lifting again, and I injured my right pectoral. And man, this baby swelled up. It swelled up like twice its size. It was it was awful, but it was actually kind of cool because then I turned in the mirror and my I looked jacked on one side. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, but yeah, getting close to holidays and stuff, it's going to be interesting. But since this is going to be the last episode of Kruger's Weekly Ramblings that you hear until after Penn State wins the Cotton Bowl, uh, keyword wins, we're going to win the Cotton Bowl. We are winning it. And if we don't, I quit. Anyway, um, thought it'd be fun to kind of go through. My original idea was kind of to talk about maybe some of my favorite Christmas movies since I do have to start mixing in some uh, miscellaneous content here. But I also wanted to throw a little bit of a shoehorn in there. I wanted to think about some of the current Penn State players that are on the team right now and maybe some coaches that might fit in some of the roles of some of our favorite Christmas movies. So I think this is going to be a fun little discussion. And this is, I have a couple names written down, but it's going to be a nice off the cuff. So this is kind of going to be uh, me discussing you know, some of these Christmas movies that I enjoy or don't enjoy, or maybe I don't think are actually Christmas movies, <clears throat> Die Hard. <clears throat> but talking about that, and uh, I'll kind of do like a dual conversation about uh, what I think of the movies, and then of course, what Penn State players I think would fit some of the roles. And we're going to start off with A Christmas Story. Now, A Christmas Story is a movie that I think is really overrated, to be quite honest. And I know that it's very popular. And there is a reason that every year on Christmas, they have that 24-hour big marathon of A Christmas Story. Just a big loop. It's like Vine, but a lot longer. Remember Vine, guys? Um, But I think it's still a fun movie overall it's just it it always feels very bland to me and i feel like the catharsis we get to at the end of the movie and it it doesn't satisfy me as much and this kid in the movie that i feel like his story arc just isn't very interesting and it, it comes off just being very bland at the end of the day now sure there's some classic moments in the movie where you know, you're going to shoot your eye out, kid, and oh, fudge, and oh, I didn't say that word. I said the big one, uh, the soap in his mouth, and of course, some of the bullying moments, the kid licking the pole, I triple dog dare you. A lot of great moments in this movie, but I felt like the overall arcing story doesn't necessarily interest me as much. But sure, I will watch this movie just to kind of enjoy uh, some of the fun little moments here and there. But in terms of Penn State players that I think could play some of these roles. And when it comes to the little kid in the movie, the main character, um, I do have to say one thing. I had two, two choices I had for him. I think Sean Clifford would fit it, because Sean Clifford kind of has a little bit of a baby face, but then I was thinking even further. And I think Pat Fryermuth might actually kind of be good for that role. Like, if I imagine these guys when they were little kids... I think Pat Fryermuth might actually fit that pretty well. I can imagine that. Uh, and Pat Fryermuth, without the facial hair, he kind of has a little bit of a baby face, you know? And there could be a lot of tie-ins here, too. Like, James Franklin could play the dad, and the leg lamp could represent the Big Ten Championship or even the National Championship. Like, look how beautiful it is. Come out and look at it from the street. Uh, that'd be funny. Um, another, and for, actually, this is a nice tie into hot tags and headbanging. 
for some of you people that know wrestling and you know Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, I always thought that the bullies, those two bullies in the movie, they always remind me of Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. They almost look exactly like them, like a children version of it. I always thought that was hilarious. Every little, every time I see them in the movie, it's great. So we move on to Elf. I had to put Elf on this list because Elf is just amazing. And I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan, but man, is he so great in this movie. Just hilarious. A really fun, just goofy movie. And yeah, it gets a little hokey with, oh, we need to fill the city with Christmas cheer so the sleigh can fly away. It's hokey, but I think it's a lot of fun. And I have to say, with choosing who I think would play Buddy the Elf, it took a while because a lot of these players, we don't see them. I mean, if you're just a fan like me, we don't get to see them in their goofy phase or we don't get to see them in their more playful, joking around type of phase unless you see maybe some footage from their little uh, rave parties that they have in the locker room after the games. Um, I I had a couple thoughts here, but honestly, for some reason, if I were to pick someone to play Buddy the Elf, I'm thinking Cam Brown, because Cam Brown seems like a guy who's pretty outgoing, and I feel like he could do a good job at like having this cheery type of attitude about everything. I think he'd be funny if I were to choose anyone from the Penn State team. I kind of thought about K.J. Hamler, too, because I felt like K.J. Hamler could be funny, but I don't know, for some reason. And, it's, and you know, Elf is kind of tall, too, in comparison to all the other elves. So I figured that Cam Brown would be more of, like, the better choice for this. And like I said, I think he has a little bit more of that outgoing personality, uh, and I think he could pull off some of the humor. And I don't know, maybe for Santa Claus in that movie, I'd have Matt Limegrover, the offensive line coach. I think he'd play a good Santa Claus. Maybe even Brent Pry. I think Brent Pry could pro- Brent Pry. Uh, did I say Brent Pry? It's Brent Pry. Uh, he could play a good uh, Santa Claus. I wouldn't mind that. And you know, I was going through the roster for Penn State, and I was looking at. I had to get a good idea of all the guys' faces because there's some players I don't know what they look like necessarily. So, and I got to Jordan Stout. And right off the bat, it came to me. I think Jordan Stout would be able to play Jonathan Taylor Thomas from I'll Be Home for Christmas. I think he he almost, if you really look, he kind of almost is a little bit of a dead ringer for him at that age. A little bit longer hair, but still. I think he'd be great in that role. He looks kind of like him. And I don't know, maybe in the movie, instead of him wanting the Porsche, he wants to be the starting kicker. Maybe Blake Gilligan is his nemesis or whatever. Uh, just stupid crap like that. Um, but yeah, I'll be home for Christmas. That's one of my, definitely one of my favorites. Um, fun little movie about, you know, kid, uh, he wants, you know, he's, they want him to come home for Christmas and his, his dad kind of lures him with, Hey, I'll give you the Porsche if you get here on time. Gee, man, that must be one rich family. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you get home for Christmas on time, uh, you'll get a Porsche. And if you do your homework on time, I'll buy you uh, 12 iPhones. That must, that's a hell, that's gotta be one hell of a family. Um, but yeah, I'll be on for Christmas. It's a fun, fun movie. You haven't seen it. One of my favorite parts in the movie is where, uh, the one cop is trying to win back his wife's heart and Jonathan Taylor Thomas 
brings him in and has him sing "Oh Oh Christmas Tree," but it's "Oh Marjorie," and it's it's really hokey, but it's it's uh it's funny the little the little marathon he does, and uh, it's a it's a fun thing, and he's also uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character is kind of fighting for the love of his woman, Jessica Biel, a very young, beautiful Jessica Biel. Um, yeah, it's a fun movie. Uh, and of course, we do have to talk about Home Alone. And I, I did have to put this on the list uh, because Home Alone is a classic. And I, I, I kind of got into an argument with someone once, or not an argument, a debate uh, with someone about whether this was even a Christmas movie. And it is a Christmas movie. I think it's... While... I'm going to get into this after this about arguing about whether something's a Christmas movie or not. And we'll get into that with a certain movie, <clears throat> Die Hard. <clears throat> but um, Home Alone is not a movie that necessarily revolves on the fact that it's Christmas. But... It, it uh, there's enough Chris. It has a Christmassy enough feel that it kind of counts. So I'm counting it. I'll get into that later. But for Home Alone, right off the bat, I kind of thought Justin Shorter could play him, Kevin McAllister, just because in the movie Kevin McAllister's like, oh, I hate this family. I just want to go out on my own. And well, Justin Shorter, he's off to greener pastures, perhaps. But that's just kind of me being funny. But if I had, I had to pick a player on Penn State that I would have play Kevin McAllister. I'd have K.J. Hamler. I think K.J. Hamler would fit that kind of mischievous, smart, very smart type of guy, and he'd be able to take down the robbers. And I think the robbers could perhaps be uh, maybe like Robert Windsor and Antonio Shelton. Those are two bigger guys. Uh, By the way, let's just address the elephant in the room. Robert Windsor is Biff. From Back to the Future. He looks just like Biff from Back to the Future. I've, I've been seeing that talked about online all year long, and I'm so glad I'm not the only one that thinks that. Holy crap. He is a dead ringer. Every time he would make a tackle, I'd be like, yeah, go Biff. It was amazing. Um, but getting to Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. They've been actually showing a lot of the National Lampoon Vacation movies lately. Uh, the other night, I was actually just watching Vegas Vacation. I like that movie, mainly because I love Vegas. I miss Vegas. I went to Las Vegas this past summer, and it was a blast. And watching that movie, it's even kind of funny how there are certain things that haven't really changed out there. That's And the only thing, the only major difference uh, between what Vegas is like now versus what it was when they filmed that movie uh, Fremont Street looks different. It's a lot more lit up. They have that big video screen, uh, the big the big canopy, so to speak, that goes over the the Fremont Street. That's now a big video board. Um, back then, it was just it looked like a big plain thing. So uh, that that's cool. But Christmas Vacation, I felt like this is this was the perfect chance to get James Franklin. A movie role. James Franklin can be the father, just trying, you know, just trying to help out his family, to help out his football team. A little metaphor there. And who knows, you know, the, the scene where he gets the Christmas bonus that sucks, maybe that's James Franklin when he looks at how much money he can pay his assistants. He's like, God damn it, I can't pay my assistants. You no good, dirty, rotten. And he goes on a rant about that. Um, and then also the scene where he drives under the truck. 
and he's like, holy crap, what have I done? That was him after he called that play on fourth and five against Ohio State last year. That's my little metaphor there. Uh, I think James Franklin, this would be a fun, fun thing. Uh, I don't know who played Cousin Eddie. I don't know. Maybe maybe Cousin Eddie would be Ricky Ronnie before he left. <laughs> All right. And if you want to talk about Die Hard, uh, Die Hard, I think if you're going to have anyone play McLean, I think Will Levis would be awesome. Will Levis, I mean, first of all, he's jacked. Big dude. I can definitely see him being like this cool type of badass. He could definitely play him. I'm not sure about who would play Alan Rickman. Um, that, that'd be something I'd have to think about more. Uh, Brent Pry, I could even see maybe playing John McClane. Taking over for Bruce Willis. That'd be a fun one. I'll get into Die Hard in a little bit. The Santa Claus. I got two more things right now. The Santa Claus... Uh, you have to, you have to get Tim Allen. You got to get, you know, Scott Calvin, you got to get him and you also got to get Charlie. And, uh, I thought that Tim to replace Tim Allen, I don't know, for some reason I thought of uh, Jared, is it Jared Parker? Is that how you say? Or Garrett Parker, the uh, passing game coordinator. I don't know. For some reason he actually looks like he'd fit this role. And for Charlie, I have to say. Journey Brown, I think, kind of has a little bit of resemblance to Charlie. Journey Brown's kind of got a little bit of a baby face. So I think I would put Journey Brown and have him play Charlie in that movie, Santa Claus. And then uh, let's just talk about the Santa Claus. Let's not talk about the other movies that they made, the sequels, because they were not the greatest. Man, those sequels were... I don't know if they were even bad. They are just really hokey. Some of the special effects were terrible. If you remember the third one, if you've seen the third Santa Claus, the moment where they unfreeze uh, Judy and, and Neil, oh my goodness, there are college students out there that could have come up with better special effects in Adobe After Effects than that. Holy crap, that was terrible. Um, and the movies just got more useless as they went. Santa Claus, the first one, is a classic uh, according to my parents, that was actually the first movie I ever saw in theaters, and I was like all of, what, two years old? I do not remember it, uh, but it's it's a movie I still enjoy watching. Uh, it was well done, good, fun little story, um, a little bit more of a down-to-earth type of thing. It felt like with the other two, it, they put a lot more, it was more Disney-fied, really. It was just very magical and sparkly whereas the first one felt a little bit more raw and still funny still family friendly but it wasn't it wasn't overly produced um santa claus 2 was just kind of goofy and then santa claus 3 was just pointless santa claus 3 i felt like was an absolute just it was a money grab at that point it didn't need to be made hell santa claus 2 didn't even be made but uh and finally on this list i'm gonna say the grinch the grinch is going to be played by every fan that hates James Franklin. And then at the end of the movie, they're going to finally realize what idiots they are and how good they really have it. So there's that. There's all those Christmas movies. Uh, and just to talk about what players could maybe play uh, those characters. There's a ton of different players out there that I floated out there. K.J. Hamler, I de- definitely think, could have played uh, multiple different characters. Hell, uh, I didn't even put Jingle all the way on this list and mainly because I, I couldn't think of who I'd want to have play, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Um, 
the guy, uh, the Sinbad, I think he could be replaced by maybe KJ Hamler or something like that. But I really couldn't come up with it. I couldn't really come up with anything substantial there. But uh, I thought that'd be a fun little thing we talk about here on the podcast. And on the topic of Christmas movies, and I know that we kind of got onto the topic of arguing whether uh, something is a Christmas movie. And when I was looking for some Christmas movies, I mean, I know a lot of them. I've seen a lot of them. But I, I had to just make sure I didn't miss any. And I, I just looked up this uh, article that was posted a couple days a couple of days ago on uh, goodhousekeeping.com and it's the 55 plus best christmas movies of all time starting with a christmas story and i got to tell you some of these movies on here i have to kind of argue against as being classified as christmas movies now here's my thing with this is just my personal classification of Christmas movies. And look, it, it, it's really up to the beholder. The, you know, it's all up to the eye of the beholder. If, if you feel like a movie is something you watch during Christmas, then you can call it a Christmas movie all you want. I mean, look, it, I just, I'm just having fun with my own uh, opinion here. Uh, but to me, a Christmas movie is a movie where I obviously it's got to be very Christmassy. It's got to have a lot of Christmas imagery and there's got, it comes, comes down to set designs and all of that. And, you know, all special effects if there's need for it. But I think, and Christmas music, of course. Um, and of course the setting too, what time of year it is when it happens. Of course, it's also important that the movie happens, um, during Christmas time, but that, that alone does not make a Christmas movie, in my opinion. For me, what really makes something a Christmas movie is I think, the, in my opinion, the plot needs to kind of directly be affected by the fact that it is Christmas or directly be af- affected by a component of Christmas, like reindeer or Santa or something like that. There needs to be a direct correlation between Christmas and the plot of the movie and how it unfolds. And I will explain that as I go through this list. And I think we'll have a lot of fun. A Christmas story, I think, is definitely, uh, I mean, obviously, a, I mean, it's called freaking A Christmas Story, but it's revolving around Christmas. It's the story of a kid who wants something for Christmas, and there's all sorts of other things that happen. It happens through Christmas. It's there. It's definitely a Christmas movie. Home Alone. I definitely say is a Christmas movie. It rev- it kind of revolves around Christmas. There's a lot of Christmassy uh, imagery, a lot of it. Not just like it's not sprinkled in there. It's it's very obvious that it's. And I mean, the pl- see the, with the plot, the plot could kind of go either way because okay, the the family forgets him. They're going on a Christmas vacation and they forget him there. Now, you could e- now would the plot unfold a similar way? If, let's say, they were just going on a summer vacation and they forgot him, perhaps. But in my opinion, Home Alone is definitely qualifying of being a Christmas movie just because I think it's so overwhelmingly Christmassy. That that helps its case. Uh, and, and it's funny, on this list they also have Home Alone 2, uh, which, yeah, sure, Christmas movie, again, whatever. Uh, planes, trains, and... Uh, Planes, Trains, and uh, Automobiles, I wasn't aware, was a Christmas movie. And quite frankly, I've never really seen it, so I can't really comment on it. 
I noticed the Polar Express is on this, and I guess, yes, uh, it it is a Christmas movie because it's a ride to the North Pole and everything. I'm not a big fan of it, by the way. It kind of has this weird, uncanny valley effect, and I just, I couldn't follow it. Uh, not a fan of it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, that is absolutely a Christmas movie. It's the story of the Griswold family Christmas, and, you know, Clark Griswold not being able to get the lights up and everything and screwing everything up and having the relatives come over. It's all, it's all around Christmas, of course. Elf is definitely a Christmas movie. Now, some people could argue, well, you know, the plot, uh, but it, it, I, but once again, you're talking about elves. It involves a main character being an elf around Santa Claus. Therefore, you know, it, it's, it's that type of Christmas component. And of course, I mean, the plot does directly, is directly affected by Christmas components and the fact that it is Christmas because the, I talked about the whole scene where they have to uh, re-energize the sleigh with Christmas spirit and all of that. That's definitely there. That is definitely a Christmas movie. I know some of these movies, uh, there's no real argument. They are absolutely Christmas movies. But... The one movie that I will forever deny is a Christmas movie. That is Die Hard. Die Hard definitely has a, eh, some Christmas imagery and some references throughout the movie. Yes, it's very true. It happens during Christmas. It happens during an, a Christmas party uh, for the company that he's working for and everything. And of course, you know, the parties, there's terrorists and stuff and all of that. Now, that's all fine and dandy. And you can, uh, what is it? They, they strapped the, they strapped, he strapped a uh, Santa hat on somebody. Ho, 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 whatever. A lot of different Christmas references. But this plot absolutely would happen almost the exact same way, whether it was Christmas or not. They could have set this during Thanksgiving for all I care, and it'd still be pretty much the exact same thing. It could be a July 4th summer holiday, summer uh, office party. It'd be the exact same thing. The plot, the basic plot would unfold the exact same way. John McClane, let's just put it this way. Hans Gruber would have still fell off the building and died in slow motion. This is my big argument with Die Hard. It is not a Christmas movie. It is a great movie. I think Die Hard is awesome. It is an awesome movie. And I understand that if people want to watch it during Christmas, I get it. It's great. It's a fantastic action movie. It's exciting. But that doesn't make it a Christmas movie. Just because it happens during Christmas doesn't make it a Christmas movie. I'll give you another example of a movie that happens during Christmas and is not a Christmas movie. If you've ever seen the movie Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds, which is fantastic. I love that movie. The plot is, okay, he's, he's a big, um, he manages musical talents, and he's on a flight, and they get stuck in New Jersey for the holidays, and so he spends Christmas around uh, his old friends from high school and this girl that he has a crush from from high school and everything like that. And there's a lot of Christmas in it. There's a Christmas party they go to. And then there's a scene where uh, there are Christmas ornaments uh, thrown uh, uh, around and everything and destroyed. And we'll, you know, if you just watch the movie, and you'll see what I mean. 
But that does not make it a Christmas movie just because it happens during Christmas. That argument applies directly to Die Hard, in my opinion. Not saying a lot of it's so funny. I'll say I'll say Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. And then people go, well, it's still a good movie. Yeah, that's not my argument. It's fantastic, I said, but not a Christmas movie. If you want to talk about another movie that's on the opposite, where the plot directly revolves around the fact that it's Christmas and stuff, the Santa Claus, as we talked. He accidentally kills Santa, and he has to become Santa to save Christmas, pretty much. That's the overall arcing plot, basically. That is completely a Christmas movie, because... It directly revolves around the fact that it's Christmas. And without Christmas, it, it the plot wouldn't be the same. Without Christmas, it really would not be the same. Without Santa, it would not be the same. It, it just wouldn't work. You know what I mean? And Jingle All the Way is another movie. That is a Christmas movie because it's all based on Christmas. He's trying to buy his son a toy for Christmas. That is a Christmas freaking movie. Now, Lethal Weapon's on this list too. And yes, it does take place during Christmas. And there's some Christmas songs put in there. But this plot would unfold almost the exact same way if it was not Christmas. So therefore, Lethal Weapon, just like Die Hard, not a Christmas movie. Once again, Lethal Weapon, great movie. Love the Lethal Weapon movies. They are great. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover were awesome together. That was kind of like, that was like during the peak of like some of the best action comedy movies. Uh, Not a Christmas movie. Not a Christmas movie movie. There's a couple other ones. Bad Santa I've actually never seen. Serendipity's even on this list, which I guess it's a Christmas movie. I mean, th- then they have Batman Returns on this. And it, it yes, it's set it's set during the holidays, but once again, the plot does not necessarily revolve around Christmas. So therefore, Bat uh, Batman Returns is not a Christmas movie. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that's obviously a Christmas movie. It's The Grinch is trying to ruin Christmas. There you go. All that type of stuff. And there's a couple other ones that are not on this list that I see getting thrown around a lot during Christmas. And I have to kind of say, like, no, they're not Christmas movies. Okay, Harry Potter. Any of the Harry Potter movies, just because they have Christmas scenes in snow, does not make them freaking Christmas movies. I can't believe I have to even say this, because Freeform will like show the Harry Potter films around Christmas. It's a Harry Potter Christmas marathon. They're not Christmas movies. What the hell? Frozen is not a Christmas movie. Just because it has a bunch of winter imagery does not make it a Christmas movie. To some of these people, I swear, if someone says Merry Christmas in the movie, it's like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. They said Merry Christmas. I don't know. I thought that'd be a little bit of a fun thing to do. But uh, but yeah, that's that's it. That's all we got for this week. For Cougars Weekly Ramblings, and of course, as I mentioned, I will be taking a week off from this podcast. Uh, just to do a little plug very quick for Hot Tags and Headbanging this Friday. It's a podcast about hard rock metal music, music in general, and some pro wrestling talk. This Friday, I'll be talking about TLC and the shows afterwards and the aftermath. I'll be talking about, um, I'll be talking about my top 10 albums 
from 2019. That'll be fun. And then I will have an episode of Hot Tags and Headbanging the Friday after Christmas, which will be the 27th. I will have an episode coming out, and that'll be pre-recorded way in advance. And that will be a show where I strictly talk about my favorite, my top 10 albums from the last decade, from 2010 to 2019. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this week's edition of Kruger's Weekly Ramblings. Make sure to hit me up on Facebook, at Kruger 17 And at Kruger 17 is where you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is definitely where you want to hit me up, because I'm talking all the time on there. I'm interacting a lot on there. Twitter's my favorite. I love it. Instagram's really cool, too. Uh, Instagram definitely takes a lot more effort, and i got to really start thinking about what kind of content I want to... Um, get on there. And I really want to diversify. I want, I want each, each of my social accounts to kind of offer something different than the other. And that's what I'm really trying, uh, struggling to come up with. But, uh, so, and, uh, since I won't talk, so uh, I'm lost here. Uh, cause I know I have different, uh, probably have different audiences perhaps between the two podcasts. So if I am not going to talk to you until after Christmas or your holidays, uh, I do want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever else is being um, uh, celebrated. I don't want to leave anyone out. Um, it's it's a good time of year. It's a fun, festive time of year. Enjoy time with your families. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we get at least a little bit of snow. I hate snow, but if there is one time of year I like snow, it's around Christmas and around the holidays. So you guys have a great rest of your week and have a great holiday. And go get it.